This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. I regret to inform you, you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that usually takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities. And today we're looking at it a little differently. Talking kids. I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. Greetings, reprobates. I hope you're having a great week. Like, I just realized that we are heading towards our 80th episode of Chapel Probation. 80 amazing conversations. 80 amazing conversations with friends, authors, academics, researchers, and new friends who want to tell their story. Everything. It's, I'm just kind of amazed that uh, we've made it this far. As we head towards the end of this third season, that will easily take us into the 90s, not the decade, the, the number. Um, I'm reminiscing about all the people I've talked to. And man, it's such an honor to have these conversations and then to bring to you all these stories. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. A quick announcement. We just announced last week that um, a big event that Megan and Cortland of the Thereafter podcast and Justin and Tori of the Go Home Bible You're Drunk podcast, both of which I highly recommend, and along with some of us podcasters and writers and folks are planning. It's a sex-positive conference called Content Warning. There will be discussions and panels on all things sex and sexuality. It's going to be President's Weekend in February, and you can register for in-person um, fun. It's in Portland. Um, or virtual streaming. Uh, there's an option for that. And you can go to contentwarningevent.com for more information. There's a really nice picture of me on the collaborator page. Really glad I got those headshots. Uh, so yeah, Portland, President's Weekend, be there. More to come. Um, so this week, we have the great Ryan Stoller, who you've probably seen online as R.L. Stoller. And he's an expert in all things homeschooling and child liberation theology. And he has a book out today called The Kingdom of Children. There'll be links to this in the show notes. Um, and a quick production note, Squadcast uh, screwed up Ryan's audio and didn't render it, so I had to use the backup uh, cloud audio, which is not up to the usual standards for chapel probation, but it'll do. It'll have to do. Anyway, it's a great conversation. All right, my name is Ryan Stoller. Uh, pronouns are he, him. How I would identify, I would identify as a, are you talking about religiously, I assume? Yeah, anything really. Ass yeah, kicker. Okay. Um, Ass kicker. <laughs> culture warrior. Culture warrior. Uh, I guess I identify as a, usually as like a child liberation theologian, a yeah. child and survivor advocate. And in terms of religiously, I identify as like a 
Christian apatheist, and we can get into that. Yeah, okay. That's intriguing. Yeah, and so you went to a small, you said a small Christian college in Oregon. So what, yes. what, what school did you go to? Yeah, I went to Gutenberg College. It is a great book school. So it is a school that focuses on reading books and discussing them in like a dialogue format. Uh, so we don't eat, we didn't use textbooks really at Gutenberg. Uh, we would read when we read philosophy or history, we would read kind of like original sources. So we read straight Plato and Aristotle and all the kind of classics of Western civilization, as we called it. And it was a four-year school. They only had one degree. So uh, it was a degree in liberal arts. Like most great book schools, there's only like one curriculum. Uh, everyone does the exact same thing. The curriculum is like a set of, it's, well, they're called the great books. So it's uh, like a list of probably 80 books, some of like what are considered the foundational texts of Western civilization. Yeah, the canon. Um, the canon, yes. Yeah. So uh, we all, this school was uh, very much Christian, uh, evangelical. Uh, most of the students that went were also homeschooled, like myself. A lot of the teachers at the school also were homeschooling parents. Uh, many of the students at the school were children of the teachers. Um, so it was this very close-knit close and, and an enmeshed community uh, of these people that had just recently left very conservative homes and were kind of being exposed to all these ideas that they had never encountered for most of their lives, having these existential crises but still kind of in a safe environment where the parents wouldn't be worried about them. And they were uh, accredited by a national accrediting body. And it's the same one that basically accredits all the other evangelical schools. Um, yeah. They focus primarily actually on schools that uh, teach young earth creationism. That was yeah. kind of this like the motivating factor for having an alternative accrediting body because the the regional accrediting bodies which are the kind of the standard governmental ones wouldn't and you know accredit these schools that were not teaching science so right uh, yeah, yeah i was gonna say i'm guessing science books were not part of the curriculum um, not really the great no. works <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> we did do euclidean geometry uh that was okay. kind of the extent of our math, was doing uh, Euclid. So, right but on. mainly it was just reading, and then and we also learned uh, Greek and German. They had to choose them. They had to choose a living language, I think, for the accrediting oh, requirements. Nice. And one of the friends of the teachers knew German, so that they just picked that one randomly. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> But I did like four years of Greek there. Two years were required and I enjoyed it. So I did four years of it. Translated quite a few books from the, uh, the Christian Testament, 
I, that was that's a great was a really actually educational process translating those texts uh, and seeing all the different meanings words can take. Right. And yeah. even as a conservative evangelical back in the day, translating, I was like, oh, interesting. So we're making a lot of decisions while we're right. interpreting. Like, yeah, yeah. Because there's no grammar, right? Like, so the, mm-hmm. the letters sort of just sort of run on, and, and sometimes they don't know where which word starts or ends, and, and it yeah. really affects the, the interpretation. And, exactly. and nothing was actually written originally in Greek, right? So it was translated from other codex, Correct. like Aramaic. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Y'all should have been studying Aramaic, probably, but um. <laughs> I, I think so. That would have been really interesting. But cool. Greek's like cool. That. Yeah, yeah. I like I like their yogurt. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, <laughs> so were you? So so if, if you're going to this school, coming out of homeschooling, and we'll talk about that because that's one of your areas of expertise. Um, you're pretty, you're pretty <laughs> solid in the fundamentalist uh, Christian faith right so you're you're coming into this because that that's sort of the trajectory you're on from from your faith background yes definitely the one twist is that when i was homeschooled in high school i had the opportunity to do uh academic speech and debate and i was pretty good at it so i actually had the opportunity well in high school to teach speech and debate to other high schoolers who were homeschooled Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and my exposure to like politics and social issues through speech and, and debate definitely like made me more liberal and progressive than a lot of people that were homeschooled and were my age. Um, even at that time, I mean, I was still conservative and evangelical, but like, I really didn't like capitalism. Yeah. I was very much anti-imperialist. Like I knew a lot about what the United States had been doing in other countries. Like, so I was, I was a bit of a like controversial act, like activist in a sense, uh, even in high school and in college. I actually really didn't like going to Gutenberg for most of my time there. Oh. Uh, because I went to this school right out of high school and high school, most of my education was taken up with speech and debate. Like it, it just kind of becomes an all, all consuming activity. Yeah. Um, and that's not unique to homeschooling or anything. That's just. Right. No, there's a whole culture, yeah. subculture. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and so you're and kind so of a I'm, rebel and you're armed with all these argumentative abilities. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and so I went to Gutenberg and like, everyone's just sitting around and reading books. And like, I had to come out of like learning all about these horrible things that in the world and like very, uh, kind of disenchanted with things. And so most of my time at Gutenberg, I kind of clashed a lot with people because I was just kind of like, I don't like, this seems like a waste of time. Like, I feel like we should be out doing things to make the world a better place. Mm. Um, so it was definitely a, like a challenge for me at the end of the four years, everyone has to write at Gutenberg, everyone has to write a senior thesis. And so my senior thesis ended up being, uh, comparing 
uh, Kierkegaard, who everyone at Gutenberg loved. Everyone loved Kierkegaard because of his emphasis on like inwardness and how, you know, a relationship with God is this intensely personal thing. And so he kind of represented like the school to me. And then I can, I compared his philosophy with, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who, you know, in his books, like cost of discipleship and ethics was a lot more about like doing and acting and actually putting his beliefs into practice. Um, so that's what was my, my thesis was kind of wrestling with what I had been wrestling with for the four years at Gutenberg, which is this, uh, does my faith actually going to mean anything or am I just going to be sitting around talking about it? Like in that case, it didn't really matter. And that actually like my writing, my senior thesis, uh, is what got me into liberation theology because I had picked Kierkegaard and I needed to compare him to somebody that represented like action. Uh, and so a friend of mine had recommended Gustavo Gutierrez, who I hadn't heard of. I hadn't heard of liberation theology at all. So I, I picked up a theology of liberation and absolutely loved it. But my uh, senior thesis advisor, he didn't know much about liberation theology, but he knew enough that like, when I proposed using him, the Gustavo Gutierrez as my author, he was like, no. (laughs) Red flag. You can't do that, so. No, no. So Bonhoeffer was like the compromise. Oh, okay, I was gonna ask. Okay, yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. So this is interesting, like the seeds of your own sort of deconstruction are all there, like the the ability to see logic and rationality and, and argumentation um, and understanding of, of history and colonialism and things like that. And and now liberation theology. Um, yeah. Yeah, you were and doing those, man. You know, I was learning <laughs> well being a Christian, too, which was interesting yeah. to be kind of become more progressive and in a sense radicalized kind of in that context, but still from a religious perspective, because that kind of mystified the people around me. Um, So, but it was also good to see like how they were responding to my change, the ways that I was changing, because that told me a lot about them and their beliefs, you know? Yeah. In their kind of opposition to Mm -hmm. ideas you're bringing, because they don't even want to consider it. Yeah, exactly. So... Wow. Were were there moments in your homeschooling that that helped make you into this person, that kind of a, a contrarian or someone who's like really interested in the truth and seeking those seeking the truth? Um, was that your parents that instilled that idea in you, or because you know a lot of kids will hear the same stories in history, mm-hmm. uh, even read the same books, but not necessarily. Li- let it affect their worldview. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know how I could, if I could pinpoint exactly where that comes from. I have definitely always been someone who, even when I'm in a group or a community, I am kind of half outside of it and thinking about it all the time and like thinking about what parts are good, what parts are bad. And it is, 
it certainly is contrarian. And I think most of the time it's interpreted that way, but oftentimes that's just the way that like I participate in things is like through a critical lens. Um, yeah. So it's not even meant to be like argumentative, like often for me, it's like, me caring or right. an act of love in a sense, really. Like if I didn't care about like the homeschooling community or evangelicals, like I wouldn't be talking about them anymore. You know, I, there, there is no, no, nothing really keeping me there. Uh, right. Other than the fact that I care about the people and I think that there's a better way to live your life. So. Yeah. And that really comes through in the book, which we'll talk about later. Um, so, so we can start heading in that direction though. So you, you, you leave that school and, um, well, actually let's go back real quick. Is, was there anything about homeschooling? Cause you've written a lot about, I've read some of your writing on homeschooling Mm -hmm. and the many, the myriad problems, um, and how it's dominated by this sort of Christian nationalist, uh, agenda in the curriculum, um, yeah, can you talk? Can you, yeah, so for we haven't we haven't talked much about homeschooling. Christy Stroop was on and talked a little bit about it, um, but it's all part of this evangelical educational framework that that exists. Yeah. And so, since you're kind of an expert, you know, how would you describe basically homeschooling in America to someone who doesn't know anything? Yeah, I think starting with like a specific context, like in the United States is important with homeschooling because there are, I mean, there's homeschooling is such a unique and personalized experience that it can vary from person to person because, you know, you don't have schools, you, you have individual families. And so homeschooling is varied as there are families, but in the United States, it's been a very specific practice used by specific people. So when homeschooling first kind of took off in like the 60s and 70s it was originally actually a more uh progressive movement it was started by like hippies and people that were anti-establishment it was and i say progressive like kind of distinct from liberalism because a lot of the critiques of like the liberal public schools and and those their perspective uh it wasn't their critique was that it they weren't progressive enough really right um and so these uh the original homeschoolers were wanting to homeschool really for like putting children and their rights and needs first and foremost once what's that that's really ironic it is very ironic yeah (laughs) and one of the first like big proponents of homeschooling john holt is one of the also one of kind of like the first proponents of children's rights in the United States. And, but once homeschooling started taking off, evangelicals started to get interested in it. um, And that kind of coincided with uh, desegregation, you know, Mm -hmm. with white families being forced to go to school with, you know, the white children have to go to school with black children. And, uh, then with private schools losing their tax benefits, you had so many white families that were fleeing from the public schools and then the private schools. 
and and really their only alternative was at that point then homeschooling. So, uh, so as a result of those kind of those changes in society, uh, evangelicals flooded the homeschooling market. And so now today, homeschooling is seen as a very white, Christian, conservative, evangelical movement. It's diversifying now. I mean, with like COVID, you had a lot of liberal and progressive families now taking their kids out of school for safety reasons because they didn't like, you know, have the COVID precautions that were being used. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that did kind of shake things up a bit for a while, but at the same time, then there was like critical race theory and all these other fears that sent more white conservatives to homeschooling. So it kind of balances out right. uh, in the end. So homeschooling, oof. Ryan has written extensively about the problems and the horrors of homeschooling in this country. You probably know someone who has opted to homeschool their lovely children, but you might not know that almost all of the homeschooling curriculum, curriculi, curricula, curriculi, curricula, plural, curriculum, plural, uh, all of these things are made by white Christian nationalists. Yeah, like literally most of them. The three top ones most popular ones are completely Christian nationalist curriculums. Curriculi, curricula. Almost no oversight, Christian nationalist indoctrination, abuse cover-ups, and this is all in addition to the IBLP madness. We didn't even mention IBLP, but it's part of it too. And it's not that much worse than the usual ones. It's just homeschooling today. So Ryan went through undergrad and educated himself about child liberation theology and discovered that his own experiences in homeschooling were horrible. And today he is a foremost expert in this subject. More people need to read his work, like a lot more people. Um, and, and oh, gee, he has a book. <laughs> news and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Alexis Gray as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences boggle your mind as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. Hey everyone, I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. 
If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics. In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there. Yeah, I had a guest who was raised in the IBLP uh, ATI world. Mm-hmm. And I, I had no idea. Like, it was illegal back in... She was she lived in, like, uh, one of the Carolinas. It was just mm-hmm. at the go-forth of the leaving the village. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how her parents were part of this movement to, like, make homeschooling not be illegal. <laughs> it was it was seen as, like, this this bad thing but then mm-hmm. the christians were like no we want to do this now because bill gothard's telling us to do this and yeah. we have this curriculum and yeah. uh they had to sort of force because it's so popular now but like back then well there were states that didn't even allow it mm-hmm. which is amazing and it's it's the christians the the, the wild ones yeah that kind of made made it uh, happen and that's is that why big... so many curriculums are, are dominated by the, this christian nationalist uh, agenda. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of the uh, curriculum companies were providing the curriculums to the whites-only schools. So, right. the like the three biggest homeschool curriculum companies are Abeka, which is made by uh, Pensacola Christian, yeah. and then Bob Jones, Bob Jones, which is made by Bob Jones, obviously, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, ACE which is not made by a college, uh, but it is uh, just like Abeka and Bob Jones. It's very conservative and Christian nationalist. Um, and, and all three of those, those are the three big ones. And those all three started as providers to the segregationist schools. So yeah, it's all just very tied together. Wow. And yeah, I mean, homeschooling definitely was not entirely legal in a lot of states and that is kind of one of the big reasons why also evangelicals are so strong and powerful in homeschooling is that they kind of seized on that fear of, oh, the government's going to come take away my kids if I homeschool, which really wasn't happening. I mean, there were like a handful of cases where there were misunderstandings or overzealous like local school boards. But by and large, actually, when you look at the numbers now, which we have numbers we can look at, like homeschoolers are actually uh, encounter like child protection and social services at a lower percentage in general than public school or private school families. Right. Um, yeah. So they're, they're actually privileged in that sense. They don't actually, they have fewer interactions. Um, so... Yeah, and less oversight. Um, yeah, there is another, another yeah, guest. We, we've she, been super successful in like where it used to be kind of maybe not always allowed. Yeah. Now there's just no regulation or oversight at all. I mean, yeah. there's only two states in the United States that uh, prohibit convicted 
child abusers from homeschooling their kids. Um, so it's just the evangelicals have been so successful in deregulating it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, one of my guests, Heather Owens, said when it was time to apply to college and it said GPA and she's like, mom, what's my GPA? And her mom's like, um, you know, put 3.5. <laughs> they had no idea. They, they... Yeah. So she graduated with a 3.5 to go to uh, Bethel. So, and, yeah. and that's, that's how a lot of families do like their, their, uh, transcripts and diplomas. That's actually how, like the national homeschool organizations advise people to do is like they have, they basically just tell them to like make things up. So you like debate for high school. I had a few classes that I took, but most of it was just debate. And we would just kind of after the fact, take the things that we did in debate and like kind of figure out how we could finesse it into a transcript that it would be like, all these different subjects yeah. like it would be government and it would be social science and it would be uh geology if it touched a little bit on science and then if you learned about foreign countries it would be uh you know you learn about uh international relations or whatever so you yeah. you'd figure out ways to make it sound like you did more than you did honestly um right. and but I mean, there's, there's no, there's no one to check that. Like right. with, you know, public or private school, you could call up the school and make sure that the person actually graduated and took those classes, but you don't like homeschool diplomas or transcripts don't get notarized. So right. you, I, I do have friends who literally have made up their, diplomas and transcripts because their parents won't do it for them. And that's a real problem. That's a, that's a significant problem is that in homeschooling, uh, a lot of times parents will use things like diplomas or transcripts or even basic identification documents like, uh, you know, an ID or a birth certificate to control children because right. You know, if they don't do what they the parents want, then they won't give them their documents. So it's it's ironic that something that they sell as being for the benefit of kids and children is kind of uh, not a not helping them very very much academically, and is it kind of puts kids in a precarious situation, right? There's there's um, it's not often very helpful to their, their personal development and growth or psych psychological growth and development. Um, there's often abuse, um, especially with the, you know, the IBLP madness. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So when yeah, you look yeah, at the IBLP yours, stuff is like a whole world world in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah I was homeschooled primarily in California and California. We were, absolutely conservative evangelicals, but we were, you know, compared to some of these more extreme subcultures like Bill Gothard's IBLP, we were pretty moderate, like, and by moderate, I mean, like, the women in our communities were allowed to wear jeans 
and like occasionally we could listen to secular music, things like that. Like, so, uh, it was generally chill for me until I hit high school and I started doing speech and debate. And that was when I started traveling around the country and, uh, the the more I went to the more conservative states, especially as I started traveling like to the south, that was where I started to encounter these more this extremism, and I was like, oh wow, this is very different from what I grew up with. Even though I grew up with a lot yeah. of some extreme stuff too, so but anyway, I went through some culture shock myself, even as a conservative evangelical homeschool kid. Um, from California. First home, I, the first family I stayed with in the South, it was Alabama, um, my first time there. And when we taught speech and debate, we would be put up in people's homes so we didn't have to stay at hotels. Um, and the first home I stayed with, like, they took away my Walkman because I had jars of clay on it. <gasps> and it had to eat on it. I know. Yeah. <laughs> had the two they, and they gave me, they yeah. literally gave me like a Bill Gothard book. So it was a Gothard <laughs> family. And, but that was a huge deal to them, you know, because yeah. of the backbeat. Yep. So, um, damn. My parents generally let me listen to like secular music, but sometimes they would have strange objections like, they objected to Third Day, which is, I assume you probably are familiar with them, but it's a Christian band. Oh, okay. No, I'm not familiar with them. Oh, okay. Well, they had, they were just a little bit like hard rock and it was just yeah. too dissonant for my mom. So she confiscated that CD one time. Wow. But there was one track on it, one track where they had a gospel choir backing them. And my dad loved gospel, so I played him that track, and then he gave me the CD back. So, uh, But it was strange, because I grew up, my dad had a record player, and he loved listening to, um, like, Michael Jackson. He listened to uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. He listened to, like, just whatever he wanted to, so. <laughs> wow. But no third day for you. But no third day. <laughs> for some uh, reason. Yeah, I'm older than you, so like my 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 music was like uh, Striper. <laughs> okay. Um, undercover. Um, I I I'm a PFR? musician. So who? PFR. No. Pray for like rain. Okay. Yeah, I, I've heard of that because my, my students would talk about it. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm talking about like '80s and early '90s before. Yeah. I, I, Eventually, I just got sick of Christian music altogether, and I was still Christian, but I was like, I'm done. I'm out. Um, I found truth and and divinity and, and, and the gospel message in so many other kinds of secular music that that yeah. was how I talked myself. And then, you know, ironically, Christian music got way better in like the late 90s, early, probably peaked in the late 90s, early 2000s as far as like the quality of bands and um Tooth and nail, I feel like, had a lot to do with that. Ah, uh, yeah. They, that was a good record label. They, they kind of like, they had a lot of contact with like the emo world for a bit right. there, 
you know, you had like sunny day real estate and mineral, and they had some like religious stuff going on with them too. Mm. So, yeah, I like this. We're talking about music. That's my thing, but okay. Let's get back to your life. Um, (laughs) um, That's why we're here. And um, we can start talking about your book. So we're 30 minutes in. So, um, yeah, I have to admit it was, it's tough for me to read. I'm, I don't identify as Christian anymore and I just don't really, I think it's interesting, but like, yeah, I, I don't think a lot about what the Bible says. That said, it was fascinating to read your book and see the many interpretations of child liberation theory. And so you're looking at through this framework to how, and sort of compa- in comparing <laughs> how Christian culture treats kids today mm-hmm. and c- kind of contrasting that with some of the examples from the Bible. What I did appreciate, though, and I'll, and I'll get back to you, <laughs> you admit there's there's some troublesome passages in the Bible when it comes to kids. You know, it's, you, you can't make a blanket statement that God is, is pro, pro-kid, it, depending yes. on which kids you're talking about. And I really appreciated that because, um, you know, the Bible, as is, is I understood it and I understand it today, is, you know, people can find whatever verses and passages they want to, to support their, their point of view. Um, yeah. And so starting from that point, I felt like you really covered it well with uh, comparing it to other religions and, and the Old Testament, New Testament, um, uh, scholars who have come since then. And so, so yeah. Uh, let's talk. How did you come to write this book, and 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 uh, what is? Yeah, tell tell us about it. Yeah, um, I mean, I came to writing it after I went back to school a few years ago. Um, I st- well, I'll rewind a little bit. About ten years ago, I started an organization called Homeschoolers Anonymous. Um, right. I had been reconnecting with some friends from homeschooling and seeing and hearing like the same stories and patterns that like we had all been going through the same things, basically Um, experiencing abuse, you know, mental illness, those sorts of things. And I wanted to create a platform for them to share their stories. And as I was running this organization and helping people, share their stories uh, and trying to create a community for them, I felt like I needed to be better equipped for that. Um, So I went back to school and I got a a master's in child protection. This was my second master's. Uh, Right after I got, I graduated from undergrad, I got a master's in uh, Eastern philosophy and religion. And then I took a break from school for a long time. But then I went back to school, got a second master's in child protection. And as I was studying that, I was just continually being confronted with the fact that like everything that I grew up with being told from all the the experts, quote unquote, in the evangelicalism about parenting and children and childhood and raising children, like all of the things they were teaching were like in direct opposition to the best practices that I'm learning about in school um, on what what actual science says about child development and what are the best ways to take care of children and raise them. And so I was struggling with trying to figure out how 
I could be encouraging families that were in these conservative evangelical communities to think about the Bible in different ways. And so for me, a lot of this project is with child liberation theology is trying to rethink all of those ideas and beliefs that I had growing up and trying to use the Bible in a very different way. So, I mean, for me, like I mentioned at the very beginning that I was a you know, Christian apatheist. And by that, I mean that like by apatheist, I just, I mean that I'm generally apathetic on questions about like God, whether he exists or not. It doesn't really make a difference to me. Like I still would do the same things. I still would want to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And I just find meaning in Christianity because that's what I grew up with. And so for me, a lot of like my deconstruction, like I find it very healing and empowering to take the, like the ideas and beliefs that I grew up with and, and kind of talk back to them and reinterpret them and yeah. put them on their head and turn them upside down, those sorts of things. So, I mean, I totally understand people that grew up the way I did and want nothing to do with it anymore or uh, find it triggering or upsetting like i definitely have those moments too but i also just i've always been a very as i mentioned earlier like a critical person and i and so speaking speaking back vocally to these things and challenging them is for me a very important important part of my process and so i just wanted to take that that I think that important process and apply it to how we use talk about God in the Bible with children. Yeah. That, and <laughs> that comes through and as does your critical eye for um, discourse and discussion and argumentation. So I really appreciate, I, you know, I was an English teacher, so English professors so like, yep. Good rhetorical strategies all throughout. Thank you. Um, I believe it was the Fresh Prince who once said, parents just don't understand. Sorry, blatant Gen X reference. Now, I've written a lot about parenting on my blog, which I'm hoping to transfer to my Substack sometime soon. <laughs> but you can, you can read my uh, deranged <clears throat> rants about parenting at rscottokamoto.com. Some of you already have and have have pointed it out to me. Um, But Ryan is a great resource, especially for those coming out of evangelicalism. Now, if you've ever been somewhere a lot of parents are, and I don't recommend that these days, uh, you know how maddening that scene can be. (laughs) As you might guess, I'm somewhere in between the conservative parents and the liberal progressive crowds who tend to elevate children to like demigod status. Uh, Kids are kids, for better and for worse. The goal is to bring them, I think, to step by step into adulthood. And they should be both respected for who they are, yeah, and shown how to grow and develop as humans, because they don't know how to do that. Almost none of them are geniuses, I'm sorry. And they shouldn't have to be. 
But even if they are, almost all of them are destined to become mediocre humans. That's just the human condition. And if they're being raised by evangelicals, they have very little chance of becoming decent human beings today. Uh, unless people like Ryan Stoller can step in and help people understand things like child liberation theology. It's a crucial thing for us to move forward as a society. I really believe that. I don't believe in the Bible. Uh, I don't know if God exists, but I do know that Christians have an outsized uh, influence on our day-to-day -day lives, on our politics, on our, on our laws. And it's based on some not true things about the Bible. And most of these things are harmful to, to humans and especially to children. All right, quick question. Yes. Jesus, as a child, kind of a little shit? Kind of? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you have read the uh, infancy gospels, these are the, like, apocryphal texts about mm -hmm. Jesus as a kid. Like, there, I mean, there's, there, there's a reason why they're apocryphal, I think, which is exactly what you said. Jesus is a little shit. Like, he goes and kills everyone. Like, I don't know if... Have you had the opportunity to read? No, I've read about them. I haven't read... You know, I got into a period in Christianity where I was really reading the Gnostic Gospels mm -hmm. and some of the other things. And, yeah, I grazed upon that. But, um, yeah. And I was thinking of, like, you know, when his he ditches his parents and then they're worried and they come find him and he's just... Kind of a dick to them. <laughs> yes, that's true. As every parent that's who reads true. that, it's like, I would be worried. Like, and I'd be kind of furious. <laughs> like, what the hell, man? Right. And he's like, hey, he's like, woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, that's true. Even in that passage. Like, uh, I got shit to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was mentioning the infancy gospels. Yeah, yeah infancy texts Because they, I didn't mention it in the book, but, like, in these texts, Jesus is a kid. When he gets mad at people, he yeah. will strike them dead or blind them or whatever it is. At the end of the book, the books, he always heals everyone um, and resurrects <laughs> the people he killed. But sorry, it, it, yeah. but I think it's a, a fascinating. Those texts are fascinating, and I think are really helpful in making us think about what would it mean for a god to be fully human. Like, yeah. and I think that connects with how we think about children being these reflections of God too, like uh, what does it mean for a kid to be or anyone to be full human? Like, um, right. yeah, you know, the having to learn right from wrong and have your prefrontal cortex develop and all these things, like those are all core to being full human. And so if we acknowledge that Jesus was that, um, then we have to acknowledge that he went through those same things too. Um, yeah. Which kind of changes away a lot of how we think about uh, children and childhood in my mind. Because yeah. if those are all aspects of being fully human, then they're not sin. I mean, you know, when children don't know how to regulate themselves or are grumpy when they're tired or hungry, like 
those are just parts of what it means to be human or reflecting God's nature, however you want to talk about it. So, yeah, I mean, adults are grumpy when they're tired and hungry, and so exactly, yeah, and they behave really badly. <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> I always get a little frustrated when people talk about adults acting like like children or childishly, and I'm like, well, I mean, we do all those things, and we we do have a developed prefrontal cortex, so we don't really have the excuse ourselves, but yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a human condition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I don't mean that in like we were a fallen and sinful in the evangelical sense. It's just throughout human history, our literature, <laughs> uh, yeah. our psychology is 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 is, is tough. <laughs> yeah, it's a, and I think that that's thing. important too to acknowledge, like when we're talking about child liberation theology or these ideas of uh, respecting children and um, treating them as fully human is that, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that children are vessels of wrath, but it also means that sometimes they're messy and frustrating and like, that's okay. Like that's just part of being human, right? There's a great, there was a great quotation in the book from uh, Bonnie McLemore Miller. And it was along the lines of like, like children certainly provide a lot of like revelation and interesting insights, but sometimes it's really difficult to take care of them. And sometimes they're not revelatory prophets. Like sometimes they're just (laughs) hungry humans who are having a difficult So Yeah. And I think that's important, like being able to keep, you know, being able to hold those multiple truths at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was thrilled that you, there was a, somewhere in the middle, you, you, you cite Billy Collins, the poet, who in, mm-hmm. in the story of, of one of his poems. I actually met him. We had him, we had him come and speak at APU when he was poet oh, laureate. Awesome. And uh, yeah, he was awesome. And we got in trouble. Because uh, he's not Christian, um, <laughs> our, our our view was that the truths of a poet like that, the, the things that he's seeing, uh, match perfectly with our uh, an intellectual Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, he was amazing. And so, yeah, I was I was really tickled that you you can you tell that story that that it, or talk about that poem. And, yeah, absolutely. The the poem you don't is have to read it, but yeah, yeah, it's called the History Teacher. Yeah. And it's about a teacher who essentially tells his students about all these different historical events, but he doesn't tell them the truth about them. He makes them sound like they were mild and insignificant. So like he describes the Spanish, the Spanish inquisition as just a bunch of Spanish people asking a lot of questions. Yeah. Which was uh, Madrid or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, and then the the poem ends with like the children walking away, and they engage in like acts of bullying and violence, yeah, with violence. the implication that with when we protect overprotect children or don't expose them to reality and how 
uh, you know, acts of injustice happen, then right. we can recreate those problems ourselves. Um, yeah. And I, on so many levels, I really appreciate it, not just because it's Billy Collins, but because I feel like some of the child proponent group, crowd go too far in the sense that they're they're trying to create a false world for their kids that's super safe and super sanitized and it's not re reality and so it's mm -hmm. like you're raising these children to be children forever instead of um in in steps introducing yeah. them to the realities of the world because you know and and so my my wife and I didn't get along great with the parent crowd because <laughs> uh, we we're, we keep it a little bit more real with our kids, and now yeah. most of them are grown. But um, it was like you know we took our kids to Hiroshima and to the peace park, and we told told them about the nuclear bombs and the devastation mm -hmm. and the suffering of, of the people because I wanted them to understand that this is a dangerous kind of fucked up world and terrible things happen. But we we have a family and we have a community from which we can grow from and contextualize and and support each other through these tough things. Um, and some parents are like, "Why would you do that to your kids? I would never, you know." It's like, well, they were old. It wasn't like they were little kids. I wouldn't take yeah. like a five year old, but you know, they were all teenagers. And it was like, yeah, but I kind of want them to have their hearts broken in when it's when it's inappropriate when it's when yeah. it's age appropriate. So yeah, you do you see that too in some of the parent groups? They go a little too far with the protection and do the history teacher thing. Yeah, definitely. I think that I get the sentiment. Like I get this idea that you want to preserve the say, you know, the innocence of children as long as possible. Right. Not expose them to how horrible and fucked up the world is. But like at the same time, like kids aren't stupid. They right. they're paying attention, they're absorbing things, and so they're aware of what's going on. Um, and so, if we just avoid talking about it, then they'll feel like uh, there's something wrong with talking about it. And in fact, it's going to be a lot more useful and productive if we can learn how to talk about these difficult things with children in age appropriate ways. I think that's a lot of the time people have adults have difficulty kind of, I think like, yes, they're uncomfortable, but also it is challenging to take these big scary things and explain them in a way that a child can understand. But I want to say that like just about anything I can't, I mean, I just can't honestly can't think of anything that, a child is unable to understand if you actually take the time to break yeah. it down for them in the right way. Um, and so I think most of the time, it's not that children can't handle what's going on. It's that adults just aren't taking that time to uh, bring it down to a child's level and yeah. really put the energy into uh, how can I make this, how can I talk about it in a way that not only is educational, but also is like 
gives them the ability to do something about it too. Like, you yeah. know, uh, empowers them to be able to not just feel despair or rage, right? Know that you know they have agency at the same time too. Yeah, for sure, and agency and 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 support to mm -hmm. to process it and to yeah makes sense of it if it's possible. Yeah. But I mean, for myself, like we were talking about earlier about debate and how that exposed me to how fucked up the world was. Like, yeah. that was one of the most important moments in my life. Like, yeah. uh, so I don't think that we should be shying away from kids, like realizing the truth about the world. Like, right. that's not really going to help them in the end at all. So, and I'm not saying you should just go tell children everything that's fucked about the world, you know, yeah. right now, <laughs> but you know, it's, we have to scaffold, which means, you know, kind scaffold. of yeah. giving children bits and pieces in ways that are not overwhelming, but they right. can actually take and process and do something about it with. Yeah. Um, I remember the Bible being kind of traumatic when I was a kid, the whole, uh, Abraham Isaac story was, mm -hmm. stands. I think all of us, <laughs> Who grew up in church have that moment like, oh, wait, so God might ask my dad <laughs> to sacrifice, to kill me, to, to prove, wow. Yeah. Like Christians will hit kids, young kids. It's in the, it's in the kids' Bibles, the little, little pictor, pictorial mm -hmm. Bibles. And that's a, wow, that one, that one hit hard. That was. That yeah. Was there's hard. a lot of stories in there that it's just. I just said that like you can you should be able to explain anything to your children but the bible definitely is challenging like when it comes to that there's some stories yeah. where it's just like you have to scratch your head and think really hard about how would i how would i teach this to a child in a way that's actually gonna be helpful and yeah. not just disturb or frighten them like um and that's what i appreciated about your book is that you start in the hard part of the, you you like list most of the problematic stories in the bible when it, that pertained to children right off the bat, you know, and, and yeah. then, and then sort of dig your way out of it with these other interpretations and different uh, frameworks of looking at it. And it was like, it was really cool because you, you get, you get stuck in the, uh, and then you, you pull us out and, and sort of elevate us from that, from those depths of despair in, in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, is, was that intentional? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I definitely was, uh, you know, I, I should say I was like very inspired often by how Jewish people approach their texts mm. and the way that it's kind of like a, they see their texts as these living documents that they can engage and will engage them back um that they can wrestle with and challenge and that was so different from at least how i was raised in evangelicalism like there's no no freedom to ask questions no freedom to come up with hypothetical situations or different ways of interpreting like there's just the one way which is the literal way and of course it's whatever church you're going to they have their their literal way of doing it and so 
when I was researching and writing the book, like being exposed to the ways that those same texts that I was raised with are being used by these different faiths and different, even different Christian traditions mm -hmm. um, yeah. in ways that are uh, actually empowering was a very uh, good process for me. Yeah. And it felt like that too. Um, Cause yeah. it felt, it felt personal. Um, so which, you know, cause th this subject could easily be very academic and, and um, heady, but I appreciated yeah. like the human element to it. You know, for each chapter you could picture these scenarios and, and, and people, you know, and people that you've seen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and for me, it comes, it just comes down to like, is this going to actually going to make a better world or not? Is this going to help children or not? And if it's not, then, you know, for me, that's a waste of time. It goes back to that, my childhood as a uh, speech and debate person who was impatient with my undergrad experience, like mm. there's a quotation that uh, is in Janet Pice's book, Suffer the Children. She's the first person to write about child liberation theology. And it's a quotation from a Jewish rabbi and it's about the Holocaust. And it's essentially along the lines of like, you just like you, no statement is credible unless it would be credible in the presence of burning children. And Ooh, yeah, it's just a powerful quotation. And it really like cuts to the chase for me of like, what's important here. Like there's so much, injustice and suffering in the world that you, that children are experiencing. Um, and so we really need to get to work on that. And so I think Christians really need to change a lot if they're going to make that a priority. Yeah. And one of the themes on this podcast has always been that uh, Christians are kind of dangerous to, to the health of, of our society mm -hmm. uh, and, you know we we start out t focusing on the higher ed but the more we talk about it, you know like the iblp stuff like those those kids are being abused they're being punished for being just kids you know for making noise or mm -hmm. for, infants are being punished for crawling off the blanket you know it's just all these horrific practices because most of america gives christians a pass you know, you know, I know people who aren't even religious, but when they hear me <laughs> criticizing Christianity, they're like, "Hey, you know, hey, those are the those are the good people." And it's like, no, mm -hmm. they're not. They're not. They're yeah. they're they're dangerous. And 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 it's not just IBLP, but you know, th this idea of Dobson esque uh, parenting is kind of is harmful to the individuals for sure, but it's it's bad for our society. I think. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there are, obviously there's some diversity and variety in like evangelical culture or American Christian culture, but like, right. by and large, like there are so many beliefs and practices that are inherent and central and essential to 
evangelicalism and American Christianity that require adults to literally traumatize and abuse children. Like, you know, whether it's spanking, whether it's telling children that they're sinful, whether it's telling children that the, you know, the earth is just a few thousand years old, like all of these different things are, I mean, in my mind, these are abusive things. And so, yeah, there's just those in my mind, like evangelicalism is, is inherently like abusive with those beliefs and practices. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, I'm not attacking all evangelicals. That doesn't mean like right. every evangelical is a child abuser. Right. But it it does mean that there these communities are like fully saturated with these problems. Um, right. And so it's going to take a lot to extricate yourself and your family and your children from those issues. And people really need to, rec- to reckon with that. Like if, if you are spanking your kid, like how are you also at the same time supposed to be telling your child that like they have the right to say no to touch that this makes them uncomfortable like if they're allowed to say no to a hug like why can't they say no to being like you know struck on uh you know a very private part of their body like so right. at at some point you start having all this cognitive dissonance so right uh, once you start introducing a few of these ideas about like children having rights and you need to respect children's autonomy, like if you start seeing the full implications of those, like a lot of evangelicalism is going to have to go if you really want to respect children. That's just, in my opinion, the reality of it. Yep. We, we, we're in full agreement there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I hope a lot, I hope a lot of people read your book and, um, really think, especially, I really hope Christians read your book. Like, yeah. Um, even if it makes them uncomfortable or it, it was probably going to piss people off if they re- read it in some ways. Right. Cause you're, you're pushing against some pretty, uh, deeply ingrained traditions and yeah. foundational principles that, you know, like you said, it's baked into evangelicalism. Yeah. Um, but you're using you're using scripture, you're using the Bible, um, <laughs> and there's not a lot they're going to be able to, you know, they can't get around that. It's yeah, it's, yeah. Is is what did you write this with that in mind? That hoping that it would be sort of your your moderate Christian groups. Cause, you know, let's face it, Magnation is yeah. not going to read it. You know, the QAnon is not going to read this. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but it's, but those, what I, it's the people in the middle, right? Yeah. And also, ultimately, like, I do, I do want, like, Christianity Today to review it. I would love for Focus yeah. on the Family to write about it and be pissed off about it because <laughs> yeah. ultimately what that means is that dad is going to come, come home angry and he's going to talk about it at the dinner table. And yeah. so a few kids might hear that someone somewhere has this crazy idea that children have rights and yeah. they might yeah. get the idea that there's – a life out there that they could have that they can only dream of right now. And like, for me, that would be amazing. So um, even if it just angers some people, like if it gets the ideas out there and gets people talking about it, I think that's a win. Absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, I, I, I want to respect your time. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on chapel probation and share your thoughts, um, with us. Um, I'll yes, have links. So the book is out now, uh, on the 14th. So yes. there'll be links to it in the show notes and, um, and I can link to your socials as well. To, okay, so people great. Can find you because uh, you write prolifically about all these things that we've talked about, um, whether it's homeschooling or parenting and child liberation. So, yes, yeah. I blog regularly um, on my website. I write about homeschooling. Um, I also have an like an introductory series on child liberation theology there that I'm working on. I also write occasionally for religion dispatches too. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, everyone, please, ch please check it out for the, for the betterment of society. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate uh, the invitation and the opportunity to talk. So go get Ryan Stoller's book, The Kingdom of Children, because uh, the Bible is a mess that allows basically anyone to form any worldview and back it up with verses from said Bible. The KKK has verses and conservative Christian evangelicals have verses, but you, we should know the verses and perspectives that support good things like child uh, liberation, child liberation. If we're going to defeat the fundamentalist white Christian nationalists, we got to know this stuff. And people like Ryan Stoller will lead the way. He's got the receipts, he's got the education, he's got the training, and he's got the heart. Uh, yeah, don't look to me for anything biblical. You, you should even be skeptical of my parenting takes. Uh, ask my kids. Uh, but you can find them at rscottokamoto.com. But thanks to Ryan Stoller for coming on to Chapel Probation. Uh, you can find links to his work in the show notes. So this week's bonus segment is a blog post I wrote many years ago when I, my kids were small. And I trotted out every holiday season to throw my bah humbug into the ring. And I made this music track. For some reason, I was worried about like copyright of Jingle Bells, which I think is in the public domain now that I think about it. But I changed the chords just a little bit. Anyway, this is my call to cancel Christmas. Conservatives are always complaining about some attack on Christmas. Now, to me, the desire to be inclusive of all beliefs and cultures during a season with lots of celebrations, it sounds like a reasonable request. We have that whole Congress shall make no law thing, and calling this an attack on Christmas is like calling Brown versus Board of Education an attack on white people, which it kind of was, I guess. So no one, except me, is calling for an end to our American Christmas traditions. Not the media, not the ACLU, not George Soros, not even AOC. Just me. End Christmas, I say. And here's why. 
I think I can say with a fair amount of certainty that Jesus was not born on December 25th, nor any day in the winter, according to, oh, the Bible. Besides, a real Christian should be mindful of Christ's birth and life and death every day. Uh, another reason, while gift giving certainly has a nice gesture, placing gifts beneath trees is kind of a pagan Celtic ritual to appease the gods of the trees, which is not exactly biblical. And also, three were in an economic crisis. Couldn't we all use a moratorium on buying shiny stuff that people don't really need? Save a few bucks? It's kind of ironic to me anyway that we commemorate the birth of Christ, the guy who spoke at length about helping the poor and selling all your stuff to follow him. Yeah, him. We, we celebrate him by overspending on material stuff. And maybe the thing that tipped it for me was a story on NPR a few years ago. They were talking about the effects of the economy on poor American children during Christmas. One woman said that instead of buying 20 presents for her kid, she would probably only buy 10. I almost drove off the road when I heard that. 20? We've never bought our three kids 20 presents combined. Ever. They get one cool thing and one crappy Santa gift. I'm not thrilled about sharing the credit for buying stuff with Santa. Doesn't even exist. Like Jesus. Now, don't go feel bad for my kids. With hand-me-downs and grandparents constantly giving them stuff, they have more stuff than they know what to do with. If you ask them what they want for Christmas, they're sometimes like, um, I'll get back to you because they really have to think about it. If Christmas is indeed about giving, well, we should give to the poor, the needy, the sick, the homeless. Jesus might be okay with that. Our American Christmas traditions are not very old. People think they're participating in Christian t traditions dating back to like Jesus' birth, but really Christmas as we know it was started by my grandparents' generation in the early to mid 20th century. And some in the you know, Victorian age. But in the grand scheme of time, Christmas, as we know it, still has the price tags on it. So for the sake of your sacred Christianity, your humanity, the economy, my sanity, let's trade Christmas, exchange it, like you do your, your lame Christmas gifts for something more sustainable, useful, biblical, charitable. I can already hear the objections, but rest assured, we don't need to throw out the baby Jesus with the bathwater. You can gather with your friends and family. You can sing songs if you must. Eat, drink, be merry, celebrate life together, and be thankful for what you have. That's beautiful. Some people even do that on other days during the year. Hell, maybe if Christians celebrated Christmas all year long, people might want to go to church more than once a year. I mean, I wouldn't, but some people might. So how about a compromise? You can keep Christmas, but let's give up the commercialization, the stress, the crazy urge to overspend on people who don't need to be indulged to such a great extent. Let's not overeat ourselves into a food coma. And let's make a habit of caring for people all the time peace and goodwill all year long. You can even fight with your family all year long if that's something you do during Christmas. Some things I've heard. 
Let's at least take a moment to recognize the many different traditions and celebrations that happen during this time of year. I'm cool with that. And, you know, with our pagan trees and bizarre Santa traditions around the world, uh, we have plenty of wonderfully secular cultural traditions in common. And finally, if you do buy your children 20 presents, please don't tell me. There's enough anger in this world. Anyway, I'm not wishing anyone a Merry Christmas, but I am wishing you all a Happy Holidays.